0: If you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 8, a message that I have entitled, Remember Where You Come From. The word of the Lord says that the whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do it, that you might live and multiply, go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the way that the Lord your God had led you these 40 years, that he might humble you and testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make might make you know that man, the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valley and hills. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word of the Lord and you may be seated. The title of this sermon, I have kind of put a duplicity of a title upon it today. What I mean by that is this can be formed in a question or a declarative statement. Today's sermon will deal with where God has brought you from. The topic of the sermon can be phrased in a statement... Saying, remember where the Lord has brought you from, or can I ask a question saying, Do you remember where the Lord has brought you from? I think of a story of a young boy who grew up in a family that did not have many possessions, grew up in a, a poor family, didn't have a lot of things, didn't have a lot of materialistic. Things didn't have a lot of money, didn't have, a lot of, didn't have the nice fancy car, didn't have the nice fancy clothes or shoes or any of those, those things. And, and even though he wasn't very well off, he wasn't destitute either. No matter what happened in his life, it seemed as if the Lord supplied and his family never went without the things that he needed. God supplied the necessities of life. The young boy would spend much of his summer break from school playing in mud holes and doing what young boys do and have the little sand buckets and shovels and and make mud pies and pretend to make some type of of cake or or biscuit or something out of the mud and without without fear of getting ringworm or any of that in the mud hole. He would take sticks from trees and yarn from his his mother's crocheting lot and began to fashion his own bow and arrow because mom and dad couldn't go down to the store and buy a, a nice bow and arrow or even a toy bow and arrow for that. The years had passed by and this young, young man grew up to be a man who struggled in life socially. It would be easy to say that he was a little bit socially awkward and he was the kind of person that would not speak to you unless you spoke to him and it wasn't anything of, of a rudeness or being rude. It was just out of being shy or skittish even. And although he made a few friends over the years, he struggled with the expression of his emotions in a in a healthy and productive way in society or culture. The years went by and the same young man spent a lot of time trying to decipher what is right and wrong and, and good and evil and trying to make sense of, of evil and, and goodness in the world and And the tension therein. He spent a lot of time in some bad relationships. And and since he really didn't know how to express his emotions emotions outwardly or how to deal with his emotions. Most of the time it ended up in being heartbreak or abuse in some way. This young man was in his mid-twenties when he first heard the gospel message. And hearing the gospel message, this young man realized that he was a sinner in need of salvation. And the young man yielded to Christ in his mid-twenties, become a believer. This socially awkward person who would not speak to you unless you spoke to him. Fast forward a few more years later and this young man who is socially awkward and still sometimes socially awkward, stands before you this morning, delivering you Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 20. I remember one of my first sermons I ever preached scared me half to death. In fact, a gentleman said, he said, when I heard that you were called to preach, I had my doubts. But I see how God is using you, he said. And I thought to myself, even then and now, isn't it so good that our calling is not contingent on what people think of us? Isn't it so good to rest in the fact that our calling into Christ is solely on him and not how other people see us? See, God calls the socially awkward. God calls the broken. God calls the people that he would use in ministry or otherwise. And I often think of where the Lord has brought me from and where he has placed me now. And I know he hasn't hasn't finished his work. And there is everyone in here today can say the same thing. God is not finished with, with you. That gives me hope and that gives you hope. Hopefully that gives you hope. But I have to very deeply regress here. I have to deeply regress because the sermon isn't about me. It's about the great God that we serve, who has granted us salvation. So with our Bibles in front of us, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I will like to begin this sermon that I've entitled, Remember Where God Has Brought You From. Remember how God rescued you out of the miry clay of spiritual depravity and set your rock, your feet upon the rock of Christ Jesus. Now, here again is Moses. He's listening in. On, he's... he's expressing another sermon, if you will, to the people. And as we are listening in to Moses preach, he is delivering this message to a people who have come out of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. We have been reminded so far of the commandments of the Lord. We have been reminded of His goodness. We have been reminded how the Lord brought them out of Egypt, which is a recurring theme that is throughout the entirety of the book. In fact, it is the very crux of what we are speaking about today. Remember how God brought you to where you are now. We have discussed the importance of the commandments of God. and Those commandments are intended for His people to flourish and prosper, to live well as they worship the Lord their God, and to live closely with, with one another. I think a good example of this is Acts chapter 2. Sometimes people would call this gospel community. Acts 2 at verse 45, where the people had got together and they sold their things and gave to those that were in need. Not only did they, not only did they sell their things and distribute, not, not in some socialistic understanding, don't, mis, don't misinterpret the Bible, but they gave as everyone had in need and they preached the gospel. And the Bible says that the Lord added to the church every day. So there is this idea of of living together, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, living together in close-knit gospel community. I believe some of this is the idea of true fellowship and living in close community one another and with people who love the Lord God Almighty. I have heard it said that I uh, don't understand how people make it in this life without a church family. You ever think that? I don't know how people make it in this life without Jesus as the Lord and then the church family to fellowship and to, and, and, and to where they can lean upon. And, and as I said, this is a sermon of, a, of an encouraging factor. It is supposed to encourage you for you to recollect on your years that you have walked with the Lord. And I believe nostalgia can be a good thing and it has its place to a degree, but I, I don't want to camp in nostalgia. I don't want to camp in the in the past. I want to think back on those times and and see God's hand. I, I can look back even 30, 40 years in in the in the past and see. How God has had his hand and has shaped my life. I can see it now as to where I couldn't then. So I believe that nostalgia and looking back into the past is a a good thing. But if I was going to think back in history over my life and the people that I have met over the ages, I would want my footing to be firmly planted on what God has been doing in my life instead of my own little blips on the map of eternity. I want to see what God was doing. I wish I could rewind my life like a, um, like a video. For those back in the day, it might be been VHS or DVD. Or, to rewind my life and, and say, yeah, that was where God, God used that person later on in my life. God used this relationship. God used this. And to be able to, to map this out of my life instead of my own selfish needs in history. And to be able to see how God has been using. Don't you ever wish that you could? Kind of look back and and, and see that in your life. At the end of the day, remember as I spoke last week, we follow God's commands in Scripture because, number one, we want to give Him glory, and then because we love Him. So let's begin. Verse 1, to hunger and to be filled. Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will will be filled. One of the greatest days for a Christ follower is the day that you became a new creation in Jesus. The day that you were brought from death into life. And as we reminisce on that day, there should be, I believe, an explosion of joy and excitement and terror that overwhelms you. You might say, well, what do you mean? Is it a terrible day? No. It's a great day. It's a joyful day. But it is one of the most exciting and the most terrifying days for your life, the day that you become a believer in Jesus. Because on that day, you are confronted with the greatest joy in the cosmos, that is Jesus, and the greatest love that one can imagine, and the sheer terror of being lost forever because of your sin and your humility that it brings. The picture I get is this. That we have arms raised in praise because of the cross of Christ Jesus and our face planted before the cross because of our own sin and humility before it. Moses says, the whole commandment that I command to you this day, be careful to do, that you might number live out it, live it out, and multiply and go in and possess the land that I. Soar to your fathers. And once again, the motive for adherence to the law is so that people might live, underscore, flourish. We might flourish in a worshipful community with God and one another. And then he says to multiply. Now take note here that this multiplication is not so much as a reproductive multiplication as much as it is a spiritual multiplication. You go out and you multiply As the fathers teach the sons, and the sons sons teach their sons and daughters, wives, daughters, so forth and so on, so much every generation pass on the word and the law of God. It is a discipleship tactic, a disciple-making tactic of multiplication that transcends time. You teach your sons and your sons' sons, and they'll teach their sons, and so forth and so on. And so the mode of operation here for Israel is to observe the law, live out the law, and then to be blessed. Then to be blessed. We talk about the blessing of the Lord all the time. May the Lord bless you. I hope the Lord blesses my life and my family. I hope He blesses our lives. But think about it like this. If we really, truly want to be blessed, follow the Lord close and clean. These commands seem conditional, and in some way, this ancient context, they are. If you do this, well, you will be blessed. If you sin, then there's consequences of sin. If I, if I sin, then there are consequences. If I have sin in my ministry, there's consequences for my sin. If there's, consequence, if there's sin in a body of, of Christ, if there's some, uh, uh, some uh, unforgiven sin in a body... Of believers, then there's consequences. Let me ask you this Do you expect for a church to grow if there is underlining sin in that congregation? you expect God to bless those congregations? Now, He could by His common grace, but the church will not grow as it should. So, in some way, this conditional seem to be relevant for us today. If we are in sin, there's consequences for that so we might ask today, well, how do we live out these commands? Well, we live out God's commands through the Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know why it is so bearable, I will even say, enjoyable. To follow the imperatives in Scripture is because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God compels us to do so. I want the will in my life, my will, to coincide with the will of God. What do I mean by that? I want my will to be, be His will. So when I pray, I want to pray in the will of God. I want to pray for the things that God would have in my, in my life for me, for me that are commanded in Scripture. I, I, I want to follow the imperatives of Scripture because I'm compelled to do so by His Holy Spirit and because the Word of God draws me to do so. He says, you'll remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you. Testing you to what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. He's testing. He wants to see what's in their heart. I want to stop there for a moment and just spend a little bit, of a minute or two right here. Because this, this, uh, this 40, this number 40, seems to be a reoccurring number. Whether it's 40 years or 40 days, that occurs in Scripture. So we'll talk about that in, in just, a, just a minute or two. It's a well-circulated number in the Bible. We see it in the flood narrative in Genesis uh, we will see it again in the Exodus when Moses spends forty years in, in in Midian for preparation, as God was preparing him to go back into Egypt. We see it with the Israelites wandering in the in the wilderness these forty years. We see it with Jesus as he was in the wilderness for for forty for uh, being tempted for forty days. We see this number re- reoccurring over and over again as a time. Of, it is a time of testing. It is a time of even healing in some way. I, I say, if anyone ever tells you that God, God's will is to heal everyone or to, or to uh, bring them out of adversity and bondage in, in, quickly, uh, lead them to these verses where God has spent time molding and shaping his people. For 40 years or for 40 days or for a span of time in order to test them, in order to mold them, in order to shape them. And sometimes in a Christ follower's life, it takes a lifetime. It does take a lifetime to shape and mold someone into the image and likeness of Christ. And the only time we will ever see that perfection is when we are face to face with with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Many times God uses adversity to humble us and to use us. It is not God's will that everyone be healed. We say that again. It is not God's will that everyone be healed from their disease. Sometimes God uses this said suffering and adversity to bring glory to his name because he knows that it will bring glory to him by the way one handles said suffering. I can think of many times in my life when God used the events to bring me back to a place of recognizing His His goodness and His blessing. He humbled you, He said, and He he let you hunger. What? He didn't automatically give them food. He said He fed them with manna, but they were hungry. He let you hunger. He gave you manna that you didn't know it, your fathers didn't know it. You don't remember this. You were too little. You You were not even born yet. He wants you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You mean to tell me that God let them be hungry? God didn't let them starve. But they were in a place of being hungry and in need of food. And what did did God do? He supplied in an extraordinary way. Not only did he feed them manna, but he gave them water from a rock. He responded in, a, in such a way that there would be no mistaking that this food is supplied by God Almighty. This manna that was very similar to the coriander looking food, this white substance and God made rain down from heaven in an extraordinary way. There were strict instructions that were given to them when they could collect and when not to collect. Israelites could not store manna over from day to day. And if it happened to be on the day of rest, they would would stock up on enough to help them get them through that day. It taught them as they were going out to collect day by day to trust in the provisional hand of God. They were to trust that God was going to supply. And if they disobeyed. Let's say they went out on the day of rest. And collected bread. What would happen to that bread? Be infested with worms. So it taught them to trust in the provision of God day by day. We pray that as we sit down to, the, uh, to a meal. Lord give us today our daily bread. Can we say that? Do we still pray that today? The day Before the Sabbath, they collected twice as much to tide them over. And then the Lord allowed them to be hungry, then fed them to teach them a lesson. What was the lesson? What was the lesson as he was tempting them, or testing them, I should say? That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from God. Who else said this? Jesus. Jesus quoted this verse. To Satan, as Satan was tempting him, as Jesus was hungered in the wilderness, he tempted him with his hunger and power and pride. Satan came to him and tempted him, and Jesus said, he quoted this verse from Deuteronomy, Man shall not live a bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God, the lesson is the most important thing of life life for us is to live out the word of the Lord. So there's a reason that this is a thorn in the flesh for Israel. It is because sometimes we could even say this today that we think with our stomach and not with good reason. Even right now, you might say, well, preacher, it looks like you got about 10 minutes and then you'll be you'll be right at 11 o'clock. And I think I can make the buffet. I think I can beat the lunch crowd. I think I can do it. There's a reason why this is a thorn in the flesh culturally and for, for people. In the United States and America, we live in a place of, of opulence. Where, I mean, we, can, we have food at every corner. We can eat whatever we want. Do you know the word food is recorded in the Bible 488 times? Take your English Standard Version out and look up the word food 488 times. The word for Eid is mentioned 461 times in the Bible. I remember preaching at a church, one of my first sermons that I preached, and it was on a Sunday morning, very traditional, 11 o'clock service, 12 o'clock, we're dismissing, 1201, you're getting some some mean looks. So I remember preaching at this church, and I knew I was going to go over a little bit, not much. But see, we had to beat the Methodist crowd. I, no lie, the Methodist crowd had a crossing guard, had a, a an off, police officer out there. And if you, got, if you didn't get there, by the time that officer, you're going to get stopped. He's going to stop you. And he's going to let the Methodist crowd come on out. And so these people are looking at me, and I, and I knew I was going to go a little bit over. But this one family got up and left for lunch. <laughs> don't get me wrong I understand it we love to eat and when it's time for lunch it's time for lunch I understand it but put it in perspective okay, just think for a minute it's good to put things in perspective isn't it we have the whole week to eat on time for breakfast and lunch and dinner We can have it on time. And this is the one time of the week that's supposed to be consecrated to the Lord Jesus. And yet has been consecrated to the void of an empty stomach. This is a lesson. You might think I'm standing here being legalistic and I'm really trying not to be. Because it is a lesson that is much deeper than just food. It is literally one time of the week that you might not make lunch on time. I don't want to sound legalistic, but we should value the deep teaching of Scripture rather than scratching an itch of hunger. You might say, well, my family's coming over. Yeah, You've got plenty of time. 1130, we'll be dismissed. In fact, have you ever had a meal that was so good that it was forever seared in your mind? I might have one, maybe two meals that is seared in my mind forever. And the day I die on my deathbed, I'll remember. Do you recall that sous vide steak that I cooked? The one meal that I can remember, that ribeye, sous vide style. Other than that, I can't think of any meal that stood out so extraordinary that is etched in my mind forever. And if we could hunger after God's word with that same fervor and hunger, we would be scholars of the Bible in no time. The words of Jesus, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Matthew 4 and verse 4. Just like food sustains the body... And we hunger after food, the word of God sustains our walk with the Lord Jesus. That's why every single week on the back of your bulletin, you have a reading plan to read through the Bible in a year. We we know it is important for you to be in God's word. So I would say, get in the word, get in a small group, grow in your faith. And you might be saying right now, I don't need a small group. I don't need to read the Bible and my response is, yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you want to grow up in the Lord, you you do. If you want to find out how much you really don't know about the Bible, devote yourself to reading it more. You you, You really want to find out how ignorant we are of the Word of God? Get in it. We'll find out very quickly how much we really do not know of God's holy, infallible Word. So not only did God feed the people of Israel, let's follow through the text he also kept the clothes and shoes intact on them. He said, your, your clothes did not wear out. The, the shoes on your feet didn't wear you. Your, your feet did not swell these 40 years. I don't know about you, but if my pair of shoes might last two, three years at the most. I never had a pair of shoes I could say. I remember having them 40 years ago. Surely we can make applications to ministry and serving the Lord Jesus. We can say something like, march on in Christ. He will sustain you. He will give you all that you need. I don't know if your clothes are going to be intact 40 years from now. But you will be intact. Your ministry will be intact. You will be intact as a child of God. You'll still be serving him. And then when he returns, when the trumpet sounds and calls you home, you will be faithful in serving him. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, know your Lord will disciple you as well. He disciplines you too. And how do we know this? In the New Testament context, whoever the author of the book of Hebrews is, he wrote these words in chapter 12, verse 6. How do we know? A father spanks his children, doesn't he? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Have you ever had that spiritual spanking from the Lord? Have you ever had that that time when the Lord really convicted you and you couldn't do anything else but turn to him? When you did something, acted ill or out of the way or sinful and the Lord began to call you back out of that? He said, So keep the commandments of the Lord by walking in his ways, by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and fountains and springs, valleys and hills. It is a land that has wheat and barley and vines and and fig trees and pomegranates, olives, olive trees, and and honey, a, a land in which you will flourish, where you can eat the bread and it will not be scarce. It won't be like manna falling from heaven every day. You'll have bread and food all around you. And you will lack nothing. You'll, you will dig and you will find copper. And you, you will make things out of, out, of this, out, of, out of this metal. You will eat and you will be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. It says, as long as you are staying focused on the Lord. Why? We stay focused on the Lord lest you forget i think we live in a land of forgetfulness we can be blessed today and forget the lord tomorrow he says take care in verse 11 lest you forget the lord your god by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today, at least when you have eaten and you are full and have, you have built good houses and you live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that is multiplied, you live in fat of the land, so to speak, then your heart will be lifted up and you'll forget the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. You'll forget that. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness where you were stung by fiery serpents. And when there were scorpions, and when the, drought, when the ground was so uh, laden with drought that a drop of water was just thirsty for it and would suck it right up, there was such a drought for water, the thirsty ground where there was no water, but you, you brought water out of, this, the, out of the flinty rock, and you gave us water to drink and food to eat. You fed us in the wilderness with this manna, this bread from heaven, that our fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you shape you to do good in the end. Now this is a warning I believe here that transcends the ages and it's easy for me to say it and it's easy for you to say it and easy for you to say yes I focus on God but it is a lesson that transcends the ages. Stay focused on the Lord when things are going well and when things are tough. Our propensity is to Cling to the Lord when things are tough. Because when things are easy, we think of ourselves, we don't need the Lord. We don't need anything else. I hope and pray that you say thank you, God, for the blessings of life, the good things that you have given to me, and the things that we go through in adversity. It is easy. To forget the blessings of God when things are going well. When you have plenty on the table, plenty of food on the table. When your family is fruitful. When you have a a bed to sleep in and nice warm covers to pull over your, your head. And you have a roof over your head. It's easy to wander away and say, look at all the things that I have done. Look at all that I have made. I have built me a nice house. I've got three, four cars in the drive. Look at all that I've done. And we are like King Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel walking out over his wall in Babylon saying, Look at all that I have, have built. and quickly find that the Lord brings us to a place of humility. We are prone to be like Nebuchadnezzar. And we forget the Lord's blessing. You have eaten well your bellies are full, you have these movable nomadic houses that you have been traveling with in the wilderness, you have plenty of livestock, your treasury is stocked with silver. Look at it and remember where God has brought you from. Another thought I had on this was the relationship between nationality and our faith and how the two merge sometimes unnecessarily. And my thought was this just because they were Israeli or Hebrew, wasn't guaranteed that they were always going to have full bellies all the time and have every bit of blessing in life all the time. Now, how do I relate to you today, sitting in the pew as citizens? I would say it in this way. Just because that we are American, we are not guaranteed that this nation will always be blessed. Now, for some of you, that might be blasphemy from the pulpit. Just because we are Americans, this doesn't automatically mean that we are exempt from God's judgment. In fact, I'm beginning to look over my shoulder, expecting some fire from heaven, unless things change. Unless God's people get into trenches and begin sharing the good news, begin to... To reach out as they should. I'm looking over my shoulder. Not only for this country. But for the church. Just because we are American doesn't mean that that we're automatically blessed. The contingency is, is whether or not we follow Christ. Not the American blood that flows through our veins. And for some of us it would do us well to pick up the mantle of Christ first. To live for him first. And let the chips fall where they may. Let us be good citizens through Christ and everything else that is good. Why? Because letting the righteousness of Jesus Christ be seen is far more important than our patriotism. God has blessed this land. Amen? He has blessed this land. And I am proud to be an American citizen. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of Christ first. Moses says, beware, here's the warning, at least you say in your heart that my power and my might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. I have accumulated all these things. I didn't need help from God. I got it all myself. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. We pray this all the time. Thank you, Lord, for giving me strength today. You you pray that? Thank you, Lord, for letting my feet hit the floor, for giving me the strength, the power that he may confirm his covenant that he swore with his fathers as it is to this day. It's another saying, another way of saying this. You have been blessed to bless others. You have been blessed to be a light to the nations. God gave you riches to enrich his kingdom. At least you forget the Lord your God, you go after, you chase other gods, and you serve them and you worship them. I solemnly warn you, it's a stern warning, that you shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, shall you perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I will say this in closing, if we chase after anything else other than Christ, I'm talking to the Church. If we chase anything else other than Christ, there are horrible consequences to follow. And often we don't think of those consequences of our our actions. We don't think of the consequences for neglecting to set under the word and to invest in in spiritual growth. Think about it like this. If we neglect to lead our families in Christ and in a Christ-centered living and discipleship, listen, don't scratch your head and wonder when they stray from you. If you're not leading your home, if you're not feeding your, the people in your, under your roof, under, under, your, under your roof, if you're not feeding them, the word of God, don't scratch your head and wonder when they stray. I remember reading this story, kind of sets it into perspective. I remember reading this story, you may have, you may have read this, this before. I remember this story was about a pig who, who was under this old oak tree, and he was eating his fill of the acorns. And he ate all of the acorns around the tree and began rooting around trying to find all these acorns. And he, he ate every single acorn that was around. And a crow that was perched high up on the branch called out and said, he said, you shall not do this. If you lay bare the roots, the trees will wither and die. As he began to, this pig began to root in the in the roots and the stumps, and began to eat around the trees. If you, if you eat the roots, then the tree's going to die and you'll not have any acorns. And the pig looked up and he, he said, well, let it die, said the pig. Who cares as long as there are acorns? Who cares if there's something before me now? Not looking long term, not looking for the consequence to come, to bear. And many times we are like this pig rooting around under this tree, consuming the acorns, not looking out to the future. We are only consumed in the here and now and neglect to build for the future. Now, Israel was to obey and remember the work and the word of the Lord. Jesus even said, the man shall not live by bread alone. Never forget his might. Never forget his blessing. Never forget the day. When you heard the good news, you were convinced that you were a sinner, that if you were to die in that instant, you surely wouldn't make heaven your home. There's more to gospel presentation than just that. There is the realization that I'm a sinner. And you remember that day when you heard the gospel and was convicted and and somebody said, Do you do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And he said, yes, based upon that profession and understanding that he rose from the dead. And nothing could shake you from that. You knew that that was so true that nothing could shake you from that at all. There, there could be a skeptic or an atheist that would come up and, and try to denounce the resurrection. But you were so convinced because you heard the gospel. You were so convinced that this is a work of the Lord that you believed in Christ. And trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. You remember that day? Do you remember that day when you became a believer in the Lord Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember where God has brought you from in your walk with the Lord? Do you remember the pitfalls? Do you remember those? Do you remember the times when you stumbled in your walk? Do you remember the times when you stumbled in your walk and your faith and then... And then the Lord, uh, as he always done and is always faithful to do, he came and by his Holy Spirit comforted you and lift you, lifted you up. Have you ever battled with depression? Have you ever battled with anxiety? Have you ever battled with some of those mental, uh, mental things that come your, your way? Maybe a heart issue. And the Lord in his Holy Spirit minister to you in such a way that you'll say, I'll never forget that time when God showed up in such a way that I began to grow further in him. Israel was to obey the work of the Lord and the word of the Lord, and the the same for us today. Remember where God has brought you from, and keep on serving Jesus. So be it. Amen. Let's pray.